0: Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk to Andre Spinelli, better known as Dre. In snowboarding, Dre is known for going big. Off jumps, off cornices, even a lot of the handrails he used to hit were big. It's probably because he started riding with old school Alaskan heavies like Dan Coffey and Covey Linden. They might not have been as technical as other riders, but they were always charging down the mountain and going huge. Then after Dre had been riding for a while and filming video parts for JB Deuce, Turning in Hardcore, and Think Thank, pro-snowboarder Mark Landvik suggested that he and Dre move to Bellingham, Washington to pursue snowboarding as a career. Dre declined that offer because he wanted to stay in Alaska to see how far he could take snowboarding there. He was also in line to take over his dad's construction business, Spinell Homes. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the crude Patreon for $50 or more Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolf, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic from t-shirts to hoodies to stickers and even baby onesies. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Dre Spinelli. Even when he was snowboarding all the time and filming video parts, Dre worked for Spinell Holmes. He'd work his shift and then he'd meet up with a film crew to get a shot. He did this often enough to get shots for multiple video parts a year. So to say that his work ethic was unmatched is probably a huge understatement. Today, he's the president of Spinell Homes. He's responsible for everything from home design, to meeting with buyers, to hiring employees, to land development. He says that that need to excel and go higher has always been there. As a kid, he would jump off everything. Playground equipment, and even roofs into snow. Nowadays, he's a weekend warrior, riding whenever he can, and introducing his kids to it. In fact, his son, just like Dre, is starting to go big too. So here he is, Andre Spinelli. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up.
1: Crude Conversations. Listen more, then you talk.
0: Go to work! You have a couple nicknames, and one of them is Spoon Man. Where did that come from?
1: That is from your brother, Jake. And I, I don't know if it's Soundgarden or one of those kind of 90s rock bands had a song. Spoonman. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure J-Bo is like... And and I, I I in my when I say that spoon man, I mean I I hear Lando, I hear Borgstead and Jake, but I'm pretty sure Jake started it. <laughs> and then and then Debo kind of took a twist on it to Silver Spoon, like there was like an '80s sitcom about the rich kid, and so Debo put that twist on it for me because. You know i had the condo and girdwood in the truck and yeah whatever when everyone else is just bumming around
0: and then there's big air Dre.
1: that one's from lando i mean okay and it was I, i'm pretty sure well the first time i remember it was on video and we were at arctic valley And I think, like, everyone's trying to jib this rail, and I just came and launched over the whole damn thing or something. Mm -hmm. And then the camera pans to Lando, and he just, like, you know, one eye closed and crazy face, (laughs) Big Air Gray, or something like that. (laughs) That's what I remember, at least.
0: So in preparation for this conversation, I re-watched a few of your snowboard parts from back in the day, you know, from JB Deuce, Turning in Hardcore, and the Think Tank videos. And I was reminded of how big you go, you know, off jumps, off cornices, even a lot of the rails you hit were big. And I knew this, but I guess it helped to be reminded by watching those videos and Something that came to mind was that during that time, there were so many Alaskans focused on doing smaller technical tricks. Did you make a conscious decision to go big or, you know, why were you going so big?
1: Well, I mean, so I've been jumping off things since I was a little kid. So that was kind of like my thing. (laughs) And then, and then really when I kind of, came in to the like snowboard scene because you know somehow i made friends with the juno boys and then all of a sudden lando's pulling me into you know if lando's staying with dre and we're gonna go film with lando then we're gonna go film with dre as well Mm -hmm. so i kind of got pulled into that scene like i didn't just earn my way in there i kind of like got pulled in by association, I feel like, because I wasn't the best, and and so for one thing, um, you know, it's easier to do tricks if you have more time to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, before I started snowboarding with you know JB Deuce and the Juno Boys, I was riding with Dan Coffee and Covey Linden and some of the old school dudes. And, you know, they weren't as technical, but they definitely knew how to charge and go big. Yeah. So, so, you know, part of it was those were the guys I was riding with before. And then part of it was like, I, I'm crazy and I like to go big. Um, <laughs> I thought it's cooler when you go big, like yeah. as, as long as you can hold it together and land it. Yeah. Um, And then it's easier to do tricks, especially since I typically rode a longer board than most people.
0: Mm -hmm. Just a second ago, you said that you've been jumping off things since you were a kid. What kind of stuff were you jumping off?
1: Everything. (laughs) You know, like the posts on the playground, playground equipment, like... um, you know, I was listening to your Dane Ferguson interview and I was like, "Oh, he did that too because we I used to jump off the roof, pi- pile up snow and do, you know, flips to my back off into a snow pile off the roof."
0: Yeah.
1: Um I was we were just like into jumping off stuff and you never got hurt. No, not not especially. I mean, I was in a contest down in California where I over-rotated a backside rodeo, landed kind of on my butt and tacoed uh, my helmet. My head, dis- my head and helmet disappeared to inside of my jacket. <laughs> um, you know, because the jackets are big and yeah. And then all of a sudden, the helmet just shoots straight out, and then I kind of you know, and so I mean I. I went to the hospital, and they told me I had a broken back, and then they kicked me out of the emergency room up at Big Bear Hospital. Oh, geez. And so then I'm just laying on the sidewalk, waiting for Ashley Call to come pick me up in my sister's um, Yukon that she had down in down in California, because she went to school down there, and so we borrowed her car. And... uh and then my folks were, my folks were in, up in Alaska, and they were insisting that I go to a different hospital and get a second opinion. So I ended up doing that, and luckily I did because they gave me an MRI and they said, "Oh, this is really weird. It, it's it's no surprise they thought your back was broken because you were born with like two little rings around one of your vertebrae, but." It's actually this really rare thing that some people have, and your back's not broken. You just wad it up super hard. So it was, it was like a, kind of like one of those miracle moments. But I was stoked.
0: What are those rings?
1: I don't know. They're like, as the bones were forming, they're just like two rings on a vertebrae. I, I, it was like two in the morning, and I had had a long day, and I was in pain. So I don't specifically like I never really and I never went for a follow up so I don't remember they just told me that my my uh one of my vertebrae just had some like rings that they said f- they like probably formed at birth like as the embryo grows, who knows I don't I have no idea,
0: and they don't hurt or anything
1: oh no, no, I mean I'm imagining they're like super tiny, but they just look like a fracture line in an x-ray or something.
0: Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So it, yeah. it looked like something was wrong with your back, but really it was just something from birth.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, just like a black line, a thin black line on an x-ray.
0: Yeah. Was there ever a time when you were like, you know, you'd hit a jump or you've launched off a cornice and you're like, okay, that was a little too big.
1: Oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of that. I mean, that's when you're hitting jumps, that's, there's always, there's, oh, too small or too big. I mean, especially if it's a jump with like a, you know, you know, a ledge or a lip that you need to clear. Yeah. <laughs> Too small or too big, they can both be a problem.
0: Do any situations come to mind?
1: Well, I mean, that story I just told you about Big Bear, that, I went too big on that jump. So, and that's, you know, and there's been plenty of times i went too big on a park jump. One time I was filming with the twins, and we were doing this kind of wind lip, step down, step over type thing. So there was a wind lip I was jumping off of. Or it was more like a cornice I was jumping off of. But then you had to clear a wind lip down below. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it had a super steep landing. So you could easily, you know, it was a fine line between under or overshooting. And, you know, they they started... <laughs> They were just like, don't go too big, don't go too big. You go all the way to the bottom. And sure enough, I frickin' cased it. And Immediately start flicking them shit for telling them that they spooked me. <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't really remember any instances where I just went way too big specifically. But I know there was plenty of them. Um, I mean, there was a couple up at Borderline camp where I remember just folding up at the bottom of a landing, just like completely piled. Do you
0: have any camp stories
1: um any
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean I mean about a thousand. Comes to mine.
1: <laughs> well let me let me just tell you this this isn't really a camp story, but it's kind of cool um it, it reminded me of camp. So me and my buddy took I took my motor home. he had his trailer, and we took our kids down to portage mm-hmm. this spring for the last weekend of Alieska. And so we camped out in portage, and then we, you know, drove in and rode Alieska on Saturday and then did it again on Sunday. And it was like, I was like, oh man, this totally just feels like summer camp vibe right now Mm -hmm. like this it just brought back the feeling i was like man i gotta do this more often with the kids so they know what it's all about it was pretty sweet but um i don't know there's so many stories about summer camp i mean without getting into the debauchery because those are the ones (laughs) that really pop up first in my mind yeah i mean one of the coolest things (laughs) One of my proudest moments, like on a positive note, was like the first year I was a coach and I was just, you know, really stoked on being a coach. Like I was kind of just into it. And, and I'd also like, you know, I was a worker bee, so I was on a worker schedule. I wasn't like the other like s- snowboarders. Like I'd, mm-hmm. I'd roll into Girdwood at 7 a.m. And... Yeah show up to to handle business but uh and then i got coach of the year that year so i was like oh yeah i was really pumped on that i even put it on my resume
0: oh that's awesome
1: like so so like um you know i work for a family business so i don't really need a resume that often but like if i'm doing um expert witness stuff on you know random disputes that have to do with building industry and they decide that they want my opinion yeah and they always need a resume when you do that and and i just leave the the borderline coach of the year (laughs) for whatever year it was it's just like one of those notes on my resume it's hilarious
0: oh that's incredible has anybody ever said anything
1: well the one of the lawyers that I was, I was expert witnessing for, he actually is like part of the borderline crew. He's like, yeah, I went to camp. Like, I remember you like blah, blah, blah. He knew who I was beforehand, but then he saw the resume. He was like, Oh, it's so funny. It's you on your thing. man. like, uh, <laughs> I went, I, I used to be like one of the little borderline kids.
0: You know, what's really cool about that is- It seems like you, you really take pride in that, you know, it, it holds a special place in your heart. That's, that's really cool to hear.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was like, it's one of my, you know, at least something I did in snowboarding. I mean, most of it, most things a snowboarder wants is cool video parts. And so Mm -hmm. I'm super pumped on that, but that's like an official thing. You don't put, rad video part and did a sick trick with a sick one liner attached to it and <laughs> you know, on your resume. But you could put Coach of the Year on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I just thought of another uh funny camp story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is um it was Lando was down there digging like the week before camp or two weeks before whenever he got there. And, I, and he was staying at my condo, and I had to work, um, so I was in town, and Lando puts some ribs in a pot to boil, and then proceeds to fall asleep, <laughs> and these ribs boiled, all the water boiled away, and... <laughs> and then proceeded to burn. And I had no idea that a protein burn is the gnarliest, stinkiest burn you could possibly do. And uh, so we ended up having to, you know, we peeled every sheet, every blanket, every towel, everything we could out of that condo. We had the carpet steam cleaned and they did some kind of like drop some kind of like, I don't know, deionizing bomb of some sort to clean air. And like, we did everything in the world. And there's still like this faint smell in the condo. To this day? Well, no, no, no. We don't have that. We sold that condo. But like after we had, you know, spent like $400 on professional cleaning and this and that, uh, it was this gnarly. So, I mean, that's. It's kind of a funny one.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about these, these different crews that you rode, rode with and filmed for, you know, JB Deuce, Think Tank, Turning in Hardcore. Was there a noticeable difference between how those different crews worked and filmed?
1: Yeah. I mean, kind of, I mean, for, well, there was a noticeable difference for sure. Like, in the preseason like sometimes i would even be hanging out with the binge guys like and some of those guys were you know really cool and really fun to ride with and um uh, but like then when jb deuce comes to town or or think they came to town it was just like oh sorry dudes i'm out so that mm-hmm. it was just kind of funny but but it was always like And JB Deuce was kind of early on, like they were still fairly serious about it, but we hadn't really developed the game quite as much as we had by the time it was Think Tank. And by the time it was Think Tank, like it was a pretty, you know, between Bertner and Genevieve and me and whoever else happened to be there, like, like Bertner and genovese took it pretty serious and it was eat and you know like i said like i'm used to doing work so Mm -hmm. i always kind of like show up to get down and get serious so so like i think nobody really was as serious as the think tank crew i mean but then when borgie was out on his own you know i did some filming um, uh, for nice Gordon. And I mean, it was, it was fairly serious, but then there was just a younger crew at that point. So
0: did you find that when there was a younger crew, maybe it was less serious?
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's not generally speaking. I wouldn't say all the younger guys were joking on, around, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, like typically speaking, I mean, but like, even when, like, say, Gus was a young guy, or I'm trying to think who else was younger, like, there was he—he he was pretty, you know, serious about getting his clips, even yeah. though his clips might not have been that serious, <laughs> you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, not all of them, yeah. Because Gus has that kind of goofing off style, like, like he was working, but like they—they they were like he had a like a, you know his style might be like, he might want to dork off in his shot.
0: You know, thinking about that, you know, those, those dorking off shots versus maybe some of the stuff that you were doing, for example, how often were you hitting something that scared you?
1: Mm, Not that often. You don't get scared? Not that much. I mean, maybe like some of the jibbing or, or or urban gaps some of that stuff was a little bit scary because mm-hmm. there's like hard consequences but i've always felt pretty comfortable in the snow like i can you know kind of maneuver my body in a way to to you know soften the blow and you know, kind of like flatten out and take something flat, rather than, you know, straight to the head or something.
0: You know how to fall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even I mean, I I still, I, I still to this day apparently have that skill because I was I was loading a snowmobile on a trailer in Valdee this uh, spring, mm-hmm. and. You know, for some reason, I thought the parking lot was gonna be icy, and I so I thought I had to gas it to really get this sled up on the on the uh, trailer. Yeah. But then <laughs> I'm literally like flying. I, I'm I'm flying at my motorhome. I think I'm gonna jump my sled right off the trailer into the motorhome. So I like slam the brake, and I literally go like like almost like I was a snowmobiler trying to do a heel clicker. Like, my feet come up into the air and go over me. I, like, (laughs) I go flying, flying in the air. Luckily, like, not into the motorhome because the snowmobile kind of was, when I slammed on the brakes, I kind of went off to the side a little.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, luckily, like, one ski of the snowmobiles hanging off the front of the trailer, I went (laughs) flying, and I remember, like, okay, don't don't like hopefully I don't clip the bumper or the corner of the motorhome and then I just kind of like flattened out and did a front like a three quarter front flip and landed on kind of just landed flat on my back in the parking lot and jumped up and was like, oh my God <laughs> just kind of like you know walk around a little bit and like stretch my back and move yeah. my arms and like is everything still working okay, yeah, I guess I'm okay like yeah so. You know, it's kind of like riding a bike, I guess. You, you don't necessarily lose it. What do your wife and kids
0: think when they see you do stuff like that?
1: Well, dang, I try to keep those things secret from my wife. <laughs> like, uh, I got in you know, an avalanche a while back and I didn't tell. I mean, I told, I told one friend. And uh, he told one friend. And then that friend told his, his father-in-law, and somehow, like, within two days, his father-in-law's had a party with my dad, and all of a sudden my dad calls me up, "What's up with this avalanche?" <laughs> so but, but like, I don't lie to my wife. I don't like lying, but I just try to hold back some of the details, as, as you know, as few details as possible, so she doesn't quite know what's good how bad things could really were or could have been
0: what did she say to you when she found out about that avalanche
1: you know it took so long before she found out that it she wasn't really i i and i really downplayed it hard i was just like oh it's not that big a deal so she didn't say much about it but um you know one of the ones that happened I wouldn't think it was last summer or the summer before I got a concussion. I got knocked out on the on my mountain bike, hmm. and went too big, hit the bottom of the tranny on my front tire. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, same old story. But uh, you know that one. That one I waited like a solid month to tell her. And then I t- kind of told her, but I didn't give her the full details. And then my buddy Bryce, he's kind of like my main partner in crime. Um, he He's like telling her one day, like one day we're hanging out and having some beers or whatever. And he's Oh, oh, like the time you got knocked out of, wow. And Gabby's like, knocked out? You, you told me you crashed. <laughs> <laughs> you just tell me you were laying on the ground with your eyes closed yeah and it's like oh yeah don't oh, did i leave that part out oh oh yeah 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 it was it was just like for 10 seconds like no biggie so i don't know that's she, she my wife's a stressor man so i don't i don't need to i don't need to add to her stress and she and I don't need, and I definitely don't need her um, trying to hold me back, because I don't get, to, I don't get, I don't get that many passes as it is. So I need all the freedom I can get.
0: You need to be able to go big.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> even if going big doesn't necessarily mean going big. If even if going big just means I get to drive all the way to Lost Lake to, you know try to go riding and and be gone for 12 hours. I mean, that's going big in a dad's life. Oh, you get to leave the house for 12 hours? Like, that's going big nowadays. It doesn't even matter what you do.
0: What was that avalanche story? The one that you were in that you kind of tried to keep under wraps?
1: Yeah, it was a pretty freaky deal, really, because um, what happened was I went up to Hatcher's, it was like, you know, just, you know, weekend warrior status and there was nobody, I didn't have anybody to go with me so I went up there alone. The AVI report was, was not that great. So I definitely knew like I was going to tread lightly and just see what happens. And so I started poking around and heading up this thing. and. And I was, like, following a, a skin track. So I was like, well, I'll just follow the skin track because if they went, it's probably good good enough for me. And then eventually I was like, where? I don't know if I'm really on a skin track. I, I don't I, I don't know if it's here or not. And so then I, like, you know, did some poking around. And I was like, oh, this snow seems good. Like, I was like, I think... The Abbey report was a little on the conservative side. It was probably pretty sketchy yesterday, but I think it's starting to settle out. I think it's getting safer, so I convince you know I convince myself to keep going, and then I uh, I get up in this bowl, and I'm about to you know get onto this ridge, and that's kind of like. The sketchy spot you know because i'm mm-hmm. i'm in this little upper bowl area so i'm totally in a terrain trap and i'm kind of ascending to a ridge where i'll be safe and i literally like start like feeling some warmth and i'm i i, I like got super puckered and then i like made it to the ridge and i was like oh thank god i'm i'm fucking safe so uh And then, but by that time, I was spooked enough that I was like, okay, well, I need to be real careful on the way down. So I like kind of like eyeball my line and I like drop into, you know, the rider's right of the ridge and like do a couple really nimble, like not very, you know, not really railing into my turns very hard. Just do a couple soft little turns and then dip back to the ridge and then like, and then stop and like, see what happens i'm like oh yeah it's pretty good so then i like do a couple more and rip a little harder and then tuck in behind this big rock and like stop and check it out i'm like yeah i think it's good so then i'm like okay i think i'm ready to do this so then i just you know start really ripping and boom like freaking like just like it breaks off up above me, out to the left, out to the right of me. I'm like in the middle of moving snow. Luckily, it was only like, it's probably like 10 inches, 10 to 12 inches of snow, so it wasn't like massive. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it, was, it was like, you know, a couple years after I'd first gotten my airbag. So I fucking pull my airbag Instantly, like that was first thing. As soon as I was in moving snow and I didn't really see a way to ride out of it, I pull my airbag and then I start kind of like hopping, you know, clawing and hopping my way out of it. Okay. And I was probably only in that slide for about um, maybe 15, 20 seconds before I had, I managed to just climb out of it. But but I literally watched this slide build and go massive and then send this giant plume of smoke across the road below me where there's people and cars and you know, because mm-hmm. it's right, you know, right at that upper parking lot. And um, and then, so then I ride down and, and I got this freaking giant airbag sticking out and like, hatcher pass avalanche crew like rolls right up to me and then they want to interview me and people are coming up and i was like oh my god dude i gotta get out of here (laughs) (laughs) i mean and uh, so yeah it was pretty freaky and then like to you know what kind of freaked me out for the long term was that there was another guy some Younger doctor guy who he was by himself same day and he never came back. Oh and man! And so, so like you know, I basically kind of like you know thought I I really got lucky that day and I need to be a, playing it a little bit safer in the backcountry. Yeah, <laughs> from here on out.
0: Does that make you? you think differently than when you were younger, you know, now that you, you're older, you have kids, you have a wife.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Like back in the day, it didn't really matter, you know? Well, I mean, it mattered. You still had a family, you had parents and they were going to freak out, but you didn't really think about it that much. And honestly it was kind of like ignorance is bliss. Mm -hmm. Like, I started hiking Turnagain when I was a junior in high school. I mean, the first time I hiked Turnagain, I drove up there on a Saturday because we were bored of Alyeska and we didn't know where to go because there wasn't a track in the place. Mm -hmm. you know so we just like said okay well here's this is here's the pull-off and it was a sunburst like parking lot it was the only pull-off in the whole pass it's bluebird three feet of fresh pow and there's not a track in the place so we just started walking you know Mm -hmm. post-holing but you know but like we had no clue there's no avi report we didn't even know about You know, we would have never even thought that there could be an avalanche. So, you know, but nowadays, you know, a lot more. Mm -hmm. Did
0: you have a beacon back then when you went up for the first time?
1: No, no, I did not. Okay. No, I probably got my first beacon in like probably about the year after I graduated high school. And really, the only reason to get a beacon is because you wanted to go in an airplane or a helicopter. And that's you had to have that.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder, in maybe a similar way that you're proud of your Coach of the Year award, do you have a trick in a video that you're particularly proud of?
1: Uh, I got two, probably, that stick out. So... In a think tank movie, you know, I did. We built this small little poppy jump in the trees, down low, like down low at Tin Can. Mm-hmm. Again, if you walk, hike up Tin Can and then you ride da- out, kind of um, uh, riders right, um, and we built this poppy jump, and it was kind of like up over a tree. And so I did like a backside rodeo five, and like totally like bonk this tree with my like grab a tree almost like a hand plant, yeah, or something or back plant. (laughs) But uh, that one was pretty. That one was just like cool and fun, and and I had this like big one liner at at the top, (laughs) like I totally scream out break out the their it's about to get sick (laughs) (laughs) so that one definitely sticks out as just one of like the funnest funniest like it's not like it was that difficult or crazy but it was you know i like poppy jumps so yeah so it definitely and you know and i like cracking jokes and you know, talking shit. So that one liner and that <laughs> jump together was pretty memorable. But um, and then the other one was my first front side nine was out on this jump with the twins in Turnagain, And I kind of like, was like, they had like, you know, because they literally, t- I le- learned out a snowmobile sitting on the front of Giles and Sebastian's sled. Um and just having them ride me around and do this and do that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: take me to jumps and shit. And at one one time, we were out and it was near, um, you know, one of the other jumps that they hit up in Triangle Bowl. And I was like, I want to build a jump over there. And so we like built it one day, and we like worked on it. Like it was like one of those deals where it was in the spring. It was I know it was like March. 25th and 26th and i know that because i remember it's my mom's birthday when i actually did the did the trick
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so we built it on the 25th and came out after work ripped up there um built the jump and then came back the next day and i did this big old front side nine like huge front side nine and uh, that that was pretty memorable be, just because it was you know it was my own jump i picked it out i spotted it we built it i was like i think draper might have been there hitting it with me but um because i think we built it one day and then we called draper i was like dude you got to come hit this jump with me so he probably came up I, i'm pretty sure and if it wasn't Draper, it could have been Ben Brady. Those those are like when I a lot of the turning and hardcore sessions, you know, it wasn't really my normal crew. Although I rode with Draper plenty, but um, but yeah, I think that's how it went down. Or I I, I can't really remember. I might have been just me. But either way, that was that big frontside nine. That was like probably like one of my cleanest, biggest shots. That's like. And and I hadn't really done a frontside 9 on video up until that point. And I definitely hadn't done one that big.
0: You said that you know, you spent all this time building that jump, you found the area, and then, you know, it was totally kind of conceived by you. How often after that point were you like, I got to build my own jump. I got to find my own area. And it needs to be kind of all Dre. Well,
1: I mean, it would be. E- There's probably plenty of times where I didn't necessarily want to do what the group wanted to do. But the problem with you know our low budget filming style, like, is I'm I wasn't Terry or freaking Jamie Lynn. Like I didn't just have my own filmer mm-hmm. and my. my my own crew, I didn't have the option to go. So a lot of times we're just, you know, you just try to, you know, there's like three or four snowboarders and maybe one filmer. So a lot of times you're just trying to do what the group wants to do as a whole. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, there's plenty of times, like me and Mark Thompson filmed together a lot because we were the guys who were mainly in Alaska. And Mark wants to be in the streets. I want to be in the backcountry. And we, you know, we're either kind of switching back and forth between what he wants to do and what I want to do, or we're trying to find something in the middle that we both want to do. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that's a lot of how low budget filming for snowboarding is. You know, you can't be, I wasn't, I wasn't no superstar. So it wasn't like, oh, well, we're just going to do whatever Dre wants to do. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't quite have it like that. So, I mean, I'm a team player, I don't want to leave piss mark off because I force him to be in the backcountry all day, every day
0: <laughs> for sure. You know, I guess I was just thinking of, um, you know, you coming from a construction background and that time you were talking about with Giles and Sebastian, where you built that jump, you did your first nine, or you landed your first nine on film. Um, and it just seems like everything was kind of in your control. And it sounded like that felt pretty comfortable.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it it's comfortable looking back on it, you know, however many years later. But mm-hmm. at the time, it, it was really just lucky. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, in Mar- the, the last weekend in March, the last week of March is typically like the window that's like the hero window for AK or at least it used to be like it's climate change has kind of been screwing with the schedule a bit. Yeah, but for sure but but like um, you know there was a few years where it was pretty consistent like the last week in March was gonna just be prime Mm -hmm. and so you know, we all, everybody knew, and it just, hap- just so happened to be that, like, I was ready to get it, get, get after it at that time, and the twins were as well. They weren't, you know, busy chasing snow machiners around.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but yeah, I mean, and that was, you know, we were, I, won't, I hate to say, like, we were, but we had been doing it for a lot of years at that point, so... We kind of, you know, knew what we were doing. I think it's just kind of like the culmination of a lot of years of hard work kind of coming together at one moment.
0: So Jesse Bertner texted me a list of questions to ask you and also some statements that I think are supposed to jog your memory. (laughs) The first one is, summer spot scraping on job sites leads to birth of street dog. (laughs)
1: I do not know what he's talking about, but, (laughs) but I know what street dog is. And I know that I was like always trying to, you know, find stuff at the job site that I could snowboard on, but I don't remember that it ever really came to fruition. No job site stuff. Well, there was plenty of job site stuff. I mean, I, I remember trying some stuff. I don't necessarily remember it working out. Okay. So, but maybe that's just the moment that he's talking about. Like, that might have been when this term street dog got coined. I can't even remember. What street dog? Street dog, that was my alter ego. I, that was a nickname I gave to myself, I think. Because, <laughs> you know, I had Big Air Dre. And I was like, everyone's like bigger Dre. And I'm like, no, but when I'm jibbing, it's Street Dog. <laughs> so that was a nickname I gave myself. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> In, unless, I mean, unless Manchild decided to say otherwise, because it could have been something he said, but I kind of think I made Street Dog up. <laughs> I it was just like, okay, yeah, like if I'm not out jumping then, and I have to do jibbing, then that's, that's when I'm just going to think of myself as Street Dog. Did
0: that nickname help put you in the mindset of riding the streets, or was it just more of a joke?
1: Probably more of a joke, but I mean, I don't know, it sounds pretty rad, so probably it probably <laughs> helped. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> street Dog.
0: Okay, so how do you make Snow Machine Crack?
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, so first off, Snow Machine Crack is not Snow Machine Crack. And it was, uh, this is a good one. So I took, Pat McCarthy was up and I don't know what was happening. It must've been like in between time. And so Pat was staying at my house. And he must have been up for a JB or a Think Tank f- film session. But for some reason, we weren't with the Think Tank boys. Like, who knows? It could be that they were going to go, you know, hang out in the streets. And me and Pat are like, well, it's a nice spring day. And we're going to go freaking snowmobiling in Turnigan Pass. <laughs> like... And anyway, so me and I don't think we had my recollection is that we didn't necessarily have like a productive day, but we still had, you know, a day in the past ripping around. And then in the end, we're like hanging out with some dudes in the parking lot and we're having some beers. And this one of the guys starts telling me and Pat about like, you know, we're telling war stories Mm -hmm. and he starts talking about. You know, yeah, we're on a long drive, and blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. And I wanted to make my cocaine into crack, so it, like, pull off at the, you know, side of the highway, and put the frickin' cocaine in a glass vial, and stick it in the radiator, and let it (laughs) heat up. And apparently, that's how you make snow machine crack. As as Bertner would refer to it, you know, at the time, the the guy didn't call it snow machine crack, but Bertner clearly, that's how Bertner remembers it. But it might be more appropriate as highway crack, I guess. I, <laughs>
0: that just kind of sounds like crack.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, crack is crack. Like, <laughs> I don't know a lot about cooking cocaine. I've never done it, but. Uh, well, you know how to do it if you
0: ever need to now,
1: well, kind of like i don't it's kind of like smoked salmon. you're like, "Oh yeah, I put the salmon in the smoker. that doesn't mean you know how to make smoked salmon that's like, true yeah i'd be I'd still be afraid, like well, first of all, I don't know why anyone would want to make crack so i don't I haven't quite got I don't understand that part, so but you know. I'd, who knows? Maybe I'm missing something.
0: How did you guys react to that story when that that guy told you it?
1: Oh man! I mean, I grew up in Spinard, so I I had friends who made cocaine into crack. Like I knew people who had done that before, so it wasn't really it wasn't it didn't really phase me much. But um, it must have like really. Pat must have been like, "Holy shit!" Like, <laughs> I don't think Pat quite had as seedy of an upbringing as I, I had. So, and then he like promptly reported it back to the crew. I mean, and it was a funny story. So, but but I, I don't know, It didn't really phase me much, and I don't know what Pat's take on it was, but. Bertner, you know, he's kind of like he definitely didn't have much exposure to things like that, so it it (laughs) that would be why it still sticks out in his mind because I honestly forgot all about it. But
0: well, you did a good job of remembering.
1: Yeah, no, well, it's it's easy to remember like that. It's memorable (laughs) for sure. But
0: okay, so the next note is think thanks luxury flop house was your downtown mansion. What did the revolving door slash couch surfer life look like, and what was the longest Sean Genevieve stayed with you
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah you know I had this big duplex downtown, and probably the most like pressure I ever had was when I had um oh um what the heck oh my god i can't think of the names right now but either way i had a couple of dirty bellingham like spliff smokers like staying in the like the down downstairs like practically in the garage Mm -hmm. and then i had like yoshida in there and genevieve's and they like probably you know were up upstairs with bedroom (laughs) And then, uh, and then you know, once you got like four people in the crew staying at the house, like basically every night, then you know Bogart's there, and who you know whoever else, Larson, Mark Thompson, whoever the heck else is in the crew at that point. So mm. it was kind of like a party house for the week or two that they would all be there. Um, funny one a funny story with the brain farm dudes when lando was there we kind of had a party one night and i had a black eye at the time because i had i was filming with think tank and like busted my face into my knee Mm -hmm. so i had a black eye and then the brain farm dudes roll into town and you know we're all partying at my house so lando invites them over but they didn't want to leave their cameras in the car so they like, pull up in an SUV, like, you know, gangsters that they are, and they pull out these, you know, giant Pelican cases and bring them into the garage. And the neighbors called the cops because they thought, like, we were loading up for some war. They thought they, <laughs> these guys were bringing firearms in and, like, shit's about to pop off. And so the cops show up, and I walk down, and I got, like, a beanie on, and it was... uh it was at the time when I was wearing glasses and I had a black eye. And, <laughs> and I I just I remember I was kinda I was a little bit like probably a little faded. And I remember like sitting there talking to the cops, like, what what are you guys talking about? What are you doing on my front door? Like, why are you here? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I better like Toned down the attitude because I remembered that, like, oh, they're looking at a dude with a black eye, like, like a kid with a beanie and a black eye. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, we ended. They're like, well, we. I was like, oh, those are cameras. They're like, well, we need to check them out. I'm like, well, let me ask the people whose they are if they're willing to show them to you. And so then we got the brain farm dudes down there and they showed them the cameras and it was all good. But uh, yeah, my neighbors hated me down at that spot, like. It was terrible because i had um i moved in there i had a girlfriend but then we broke up so i was like five years i was like a single young bachelor for like five years while i lived downtown anchorage like so there was no limit to the amount of stupid things that were going on i mean one of the main things that they hated was occasionally I would come home from the bar at two in the morning and, and it was like, this it didn't matter if it was a weeknight or a weekend. I mean, odds are it was a weeknight. Cause most of the times on the weekends I'd like be down in Girdwood or something. Mm-hmm. And I would, we like had a few times where we would like do a ton of fireworks at like two thirty, three in the morning on a weeknight. I mean, <laughs> These are people that I'm friends with now. Like the doctor Darius, he lived two two houses down from me, and we're friends now. But still to this day, I'll be like, "Yeah, hey, how about that time I uh, lit off all those fireworks?" And he's like, "You mean like those eight times?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. No, those are yeah, those are good times back then. Then I got a girl. Then I got a different girlfriend, Gabby, and she promptly started locking things down she's like you can't have like 15 people staying here like they're taking advantage of you i was like no these are my friends like she she was just like she was trying to like be a little more civilized about it i i had no problem with the flop house (laughs) did
0: you feel like you know now that you're older you can kind of look back on that do you feel like you you grew out of it in time
1: yeah i'm pretty much just the right i mean clearly i could have been partying less and getting more things done and taking things more serious and more productive like i mean anyone could say that about themselves but like i don't know i had a blast i think i pretty much nailed it <laughs> like <laughs> i i don't regret my line <laughs> yeah, that's awesome <laughs> you know like um yeah i think it, i think it was yeah it was a, it was a great time and i you know i buckled down at the point where i needed to so
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's just like snowboarding like some people are like no that's out of control and too wild and you're like no that's just the right amount of out of control for me it might be you know it might be <laughs> out of control for borgie and burtner because you know those guys like are reeling it in after three beers but i'm okay with them pushing it to eight <laughs>
0: Are you still into watching TV shows and standing in your living room yelling at the TV?
1: Oh my god, dude, I was screaming at the TV the other night and my <laughs> Gabby's my wife. She's like, "Andre, the kids are sleeping. <laughs> Shut up." And so the and that's not like super common. I don't do it as much as I did back then, but It's funny that he brings that up because this literally just happened with the, um, the, I was watching the I Summer I Turned Pretty, which I don't know what it's on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon, but I'm not sure. It might be. Yeah, I think it's Amazon. Amazon. Anyways, it's like a coming of age teen flick and those are those are like the really the ones that where I'll be screaming the loudest. And the the girl, the main character Belly, she gets all wasted. I think it's like her first time getting drunk and I was freaking dying, dude. I was just like Oh my god! Oh shit! G- Gabby's Gabby's in the bedroom. She's like you need to be quiet. Shut up! It was hilarious. So, so yes, I still do that. Like It literally happened like five nights ago.
0: Were you watching this
1: movie by yourself? It was a, It's a TV show, first of all. Oh, okay. And yes, I absolutely was.
0: <laughs> the summer I turned pretty.
1: <laughs> oh, dude, it's fucking hilarious, Dan. If you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. You'll understand.
0: <laughs> Next thing you hear, I'm... I'm yelling at
1: my TV, standing up in front of it. Oh, yeah. You'll be screaming. I mean, it's kind of like, like you're just embarrassed for the person, so much so that you can't keep quiet about it anymore. That's, that's the thing.
0: So you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but I remember you were like one of the only writers who worked a full-time job doing construction do you think that that got you a different kind of respect from other writers?
1: No, honestly, I don't think that. maybe like certain people, like maybe Bertner and Genevieve might've, but like, um, you know, there was other writers. I had a, you know, uh, I won't name names, but he was up staying with me one time and he starts telling me how he's on food stamps and yada, yada, yada. This is a Washington writer. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, What? What are you doing? Like, really? <laughs> That's your plan? Like, you're like, Oh. And he. <laughs> I, I didn't like gurn him too hard, but I, I think I at least was questioning him in a tone that he probably knew that I. Was just like that's a, this is a joke, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> Get real, man. Make your own money. Uh, but like, I, I I don't think like Bertner and Genevieve's and people like that. I mean, my friends, my closer friends, they probably like respected it. And like, Mark Thompson had a job most of the time. Like he yeah. was doing it, but he still worked on the slope and did his thing. So he knew he was doing it, but, like, um, and then there's the guys who have, like, a full-time job's worth of wages that they might make from snowboarding. You know, people like Lando, who are, like, Mm -hmm. making money. And then Bertner and Genovese, they're, like, really, you know, entrepreneurs more than snowboarders. Like, they snowboarded, but they were, like, small businessmen, like, Mm -hmm. trying to do get this thing going and make money off of it yeah so they were they were like they were they had a full-time job and it wasn't snowboarding snowboarding was just their passion like it was for me and then making the videos that was their job mm-hmm. um and so that you know they i think i would we were kind of on level playing fields with but in that regard but then there was just the other guys that they were either kind of like younger guys just riding out their parents' money like maybe their parents are subsidizing their lifestyle or or um who knows how they're making it happen but i don't think like i don't think they really thought about it that much to to you know i don't know like i didn't think so anyway to answer the question i don't think many people really did because The ones that would were in the same position as me. Like, not exactly the same. Like, construction's different than making snowboard videos for a living. But I would say, you know, construction's easier. Like, you just show up and do it, and it's there. Like, Bertner's and Genevieve's, they're just trying to create something out of nothing. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I asked that question because I, um, you know, I thought about that with you because I always respected you for working and then showing up and riding hard and getting shots.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't necessarily know if I thought people might have done that because I was working or just because I was a little bit older. You know, I had my own house that I bought with my own credit that I earned by having a job and so, Mm I just thought maybe it was just probably because I was just a little bit older and a little bit more established and, you know, had like the whole adult life going on. But then I was still, you know, hanging out at the side of a handrail at midnight <laughs> on a Tuesday yeah. with the generator going,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, not, and it helps to be the guy who provided the lights and generator. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The the guy who shows up with the generator box.
0: Was there a point where you thought about making snowboarding a full-time thing?
1: Um, you know, I kind of, but it wasn't like a huge consideration because, um, you know, there was at one point Lando was like, come on, Dre, let's move to Bellingham and become pros. And I just was like, no dude, I'm, uh, I'm staying in Alaska because I have this business that I'm going to take over and I think I can kind of balance the snowboarding I want to do with this business and so, Mm -hmm. so I kind of like pretty early on had already decided that that's what I'm doing. And I'm sure there's times when, I mean, even now I'd be like, man, maybe I should have done that. Like, I wasn't going to be on Lando's level ever probably. But even just coming close to that would have been pretty rad. But you know, just it is what it is. You can only do so many things. But but I think from most of the time, I kind of like had this idea that I was gonna be in Alaska, and I'll just see how far I can go with snowboarding while still doing what I gotta do on the Spinell home side of things. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, you know, the direction I was headed in.
0: You know, that that um, decision, I feel like, wouldn't be easy for a lot of people to make, you know, to, to stay in Anchorage and to work for Spinell Homes because you saw a future in it, you know, like a maybe a more solid future in it. Was that... Um, groundwork maybe laid down by your parents?
1: Well, I mean, I grew up in the business and, you know, I started working in the business when I was 14. And like, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say like when I was hauling trash off of job sites when I was 16 after school that that was like, Oh yeah this is awesome this is what I want to do with my life <laughs> but um, you know somehow I figured out that I was into it and wanted to do it and um, you know I don't even know necessarily that it was maybe even just spinel homes or just like the fact that I you know Cause I had lived in Oregon right after high school and uh, I kind of, um, you know, once I got out of school and my parents were like, okay, well now that you're not in school, you don't get any money from us. So I started, you know, looking for ways to make money and and like just finding jobs was very difficult in Portland in like 1996, like. I couldn't even get a job at Pizza hut i mean that's that was like what the hell man this is difficult (laughs) and so then i started looking in construction and the only construction jobs i was getting was the super grunt of the grunt work and i was like by that time you know i was 19 i was like well i've been doing construction for my whole life like i shouldn't Mm -hmm. be the grunt of the and it didn't pay that well and it was like part-time or whatever so so eventually, I was just kind of realized that, man, I got a way more opportunities and connections up in Alaska. And and that's kind of why my dad's stuck here. It's like, it's a small pond. So it's real easy to, you know, kind of um, step up and make, you know, advance, like uh, climb the ladder, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, so I think that... I I kind of like knew like Alaska was going to and I loved Alaska like you know for half my life I thought Alaska was like the coolest best prettiest place ever it wasn't like I took a trip to Yosemite and I was like oh wait a second California has cool mountains too like I, I didn't even realize <laughs> I just thought everywhere else sucked <laughs> So, so, part of it was like just being naive, and like I was like, "No, Alaska's where I'm at, like this mm-hmm. is it for me, and I mean, and it's still to this day, like Alaska is you know badass just because how hard it is to get to all the cool stuff I mean, there's a lifetime worth of riding to explore mm-hmm. I mean, assuming the uh the um, passenger drones work out.
0: (laughs) Passenger drones, what are you talking about?
1: Oh, they, if you Google it, they have drones, you know, like the little, you know, helicopter, but they have like a little cockpit Uh that can fit a passenger. And they kind of sell it as a transportation in big cities with lots of traffic, like, you know, Tokyo, New York, Mm-hmm. type thing but it's all kind of conceptual like the stuff i saw i haven't looked it up in over a year but i mean i just kind of like thought of it one day i was like what if they had like a drone for a person that would be so ram for snowboarding so i started googling it and sure enough there's like you know marketing videos for the you know the, the guys trying to start a company so i don't think it's that far in the future where you actually could have something like that
0: you wouldn't be worried about them crashing?
1: Well, of course you would. I mean, you, you, you're, you're always worried about crashing. Yeah, I guess can't that's even, true. can't even take a run down North Face without worrying about crashing. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it goes back to what I was saying um, earlier about like, you know, I never really been as, that much afraid of falling in snow. Like, you know, there's kind of a safety net. Mm -hmm. kind of aspect i mean yeah you might not want to fly you know 1500 feet in the air over exposed rock but if you just kind of like are 50 feet off the ground above a snowfield, probably feel fairly safe i mean i'm sure anything could happen but
0: have you thought much about how different your life would have been if you had stuck with snowboarding you know if you'd took Lando's offer of moving to Bellingham and becoming pro snowboarders?
1: You know, I haven't invested a ton of time into like, oh man, what if, or regret style. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of it is because, you know, when you take what you love and you turn it into a job, mm-hmm. I think you lose a little bit of the fun of it all. And that was what was so cool about Think Tank is like we were still having fun. And I'd get calls from Lando and he would be at a lodge in BC and just like kind of not that stoked because he, he wasn't with this crew. Like, it, like when he was, especially when he was first getting going and he hadn't like become close with all those, the dudes he was riding with you know he was not that happy like to just not be with the crew and and then I've seen it you know with like all the things I've been into fly fishing or you know whatever it is you like to do it's kind of like once you turn it into a job it's not quite as fun and some people you know I got a buddy who's a fishing guide and he is just so into fishing like it doesn't matter like he's got your grandma out there and he's just pumped to be getting your grandma (laughs) on fish. He's like the most happy, excited dude ever. And it's just like, you could tell like he totally enjoys it. But for me, you know, maybe just a little bit more selfish or a little bit more ego where it's like, no, I'm more into me doing it, not Mm -hmm. teaching your grandma how to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your grandma can figure it out for herself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll show her, but I mean, I don't want to do it 10 hours a day and like, you know, be, you know, tying new lines on every time she wads up. (laughs) Okay, so
0: your life is a lot different now. You're married. You have two kids. I mean, when we were trying to coordinate this conversation... You wanted to know if you could do it in your car while you were at a soccer game.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of multitasking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you've texted me for this conversation. You're like, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Is that a a normal thing, 15 minutes late, Dre?
1: Pretty much. Tardy for the party, Spinelli. I was on a board. I was on a board. And at the end of the year, they like give out little presents and. They were like these little bobblehead things, and mine—the label on mine was "Tardy for the Party" Spinelli, because <laughs> um, you know, just kind of like pretty busy. I don't—I mean, they got a lot of stuff going on, and and um, especially in the business I'm in, it's just kind of like, you know, as a manager, you're like supposed to, you know, hire people and delegate and let them do stuff, but you know, that's like kind of corporate america mega corporation stuff Mm -hmm. but in a small family business especially with like a shortage of labor and and so a lot of times it's like well you can i could spend five hours trying to teach somebody else how to do something that i just do myself in one hour Mm -hmm. and uh, so you know i end up kind of juggling a lot of stuff more than i really can and everyone's like you need to get help and i'm like yeah 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 but you the other thing that with with my business is you know interest rates went up in march and we went from selling you know six houses a month to two and then zero and so i got a lot of work right now and I'm, i'm we've just been catching up but You know, like it's been three months where sales are down. And so what that means is 15 months from now, if things don't pick back up, you know, we might be real slow. And so, you know, you don't want to get a bunch of people, hire people and then have to let them go because you can't afford to keep them. so. Mm -hmm. So, and either way, long story short, I end up spreading myself pretty thin, but managed to keep it all keep keep most of the balls in the air
0: do you put tardy for the party Spinelli uh on your resume like you do oh hell no. <laughs> <laughs> hell no
1: I would say that's more of a negative quality and uh <laughs> you know I try to you know it's because somewhat it's somewhat disrespectful to be late to everything all the time I mean i I know the stuff I'm late for. If there's important stuff, I'm not going to be late. I'm going to show up on time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't want to be 15 minutes late for my a meeting with a homebuyer. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, the, the the board I was on is a volunteer board, the Anchorage Home Builders Association. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a volunteer deal. And so I feel like a, if I can't make it, I can't make it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, when you were really in it, when you were snowboarding and partying all the time, did you ever imagine that you'd be where you are right now?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... Okay. Back in the day, me and Bertner, I mean, we were... When we were pretty young, and he had bought... he had, I think he had just bought his house in Seattle, and and I had... Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I was in my duplex or if I bought my second house. Yeah, but... um You know, we had talked about, oh, man, we're going to have a it's a race to who owns the most property and like in 10 years, we're each going to have 10 houses and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I kind of, you know, we both had like aspirations of making it big type stuff. So so I kind of knew where I was going and and my dad's been telling me. Since I was like fifteen, my dad's been telling me I'm gonna retire in ten years, you gotta get your shit together. (laughs) And and, uh it's funny because I you know that it was like he he was like what he what he would have more honestly been saying was in twenty-five years, but he just kept saying ten years. So for about the last ten or twelve years, I'm like, Dad, you said you were gonna retire three years ago. You said you were gonna retire four <laughs> years ago. But now he actually is like he's not retired. He still has an office in our office and he still shows up in the summertime when he's here, but he's he's not here that much and he's not really involved in the day to day. It's like But it's hard for somebody like that who ran a business for 30 plus years and to just step away and not, not try to walk in the room and pretend like he's the president when he's not anymore. So
0: are there any qualities like business qualities that you have adopted from your dad?
1: Oh yeah. You know, I mean the biggest thing is like writing down a list of things that you're going to do and then marking them off and getting them done. Mm-hmm. I'd say and then like just kind of like sheer tenacity like never never let up keep keep like it's really you know easy to get stuff done like you don't need to be a genius and you don't need to be like super smart if you just keep pushing at the thing you want
0: hmm yeah
1: Um, eventually it kind of, you'll kind of get it, and I think, I mean, I, I equate it back to, like, if you wanted to be a pro snowboarder, even you, if you're just not making it, not making it, not making it, not making it, if that's what you really wanted, and you just kept going, kept going, kept going, try it this way, try it that way, like, Maybe, you know, going big and doing, you know, 1080s off park jumps isn't working, even though that's what everyone else is doing. And then you invent your own niche. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of what Think Tank did Yeah, is invented their own niche. And uh so like that, that's something that I seen, I learned from my dad and, uh you know, and then you can. You see that same quality in a lot of other people, a lot of other places as well. So, and then you can read about it in like all the books that tell you how to get ahead, or self help, or business development books. They all, there's always that same kind of theme going on.
0: Yeah, the perseverance.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, how often do you still go snowboarding?
1: Um, you know, it kind of depends on weather, and I'm kind of a weekend warrior, um, but, you know, probably, I don't know. So, my kids are of the age now where I actually, last year I bought a season pass to because I'm taking my kids to Alieska. Like for the last like 15 years, I might hit Alieska once a year or, mm-hmm. or even less, maybe not at all. Like I really don't have that much interest in riding Alieska. But now I'm kind of transitioning towards taking my kids to Alieska. So I got season passes. So I'm actually like getting more days on snow probably last year than I did, you know, a couple years prior mm-hmm but um it, it's not necessarily what i would be doing i mean like like for example this year like there's like when the snow is good and the snow is good in the front range like uh just the mountains right above anchorage so i would i could go like take like a two-hour lunch break drive up to the south side of flat top up canyon road and you know hike up peak two and ride down and there's this kind of like you know there's like a big bowl up top so you just drop in do some pow turns and then there's this little gully that fills in and it's pretty rad to shred through mm-hmm. and so i could do like a skin up ride down and be back at my office like in a two-hour time frame and uh so that was pretty rad and i i could get some more days on snow that way. And then sometimes I'll wake up early, go do a lap in the front range, and then come back, pick the, get the kids all ready, and then drive them out to Girdwood. So, I, I mean, I was getting a, quite a bit of days on the riding this year, I guess, when, now that I think about it, if you count Alyeska.
0: And when you go, are you still trying tricks and going
1: big? um well not not necessarily like um i'll give you a funny story of taking my kids shredding i uh so i had i was in the front and then i had my son dante and daisy and marcel and evie my two nieces and then the uh the woodland kids and they're, they're, so there's six kids and three parents, my sister, Will, and me. And anyways, I'm in the front, and we drop in from the uh, top of the tram, and we're going down Main Street, you know, the cat track that leads into the bowl. And it's a pow day. So I, um, you know, kind of just whip a quick little frontside three off of Main Street cat track and i land it and ride down to the bowl and then i look back and dante is just like sitting there in a hot tub i mean and this guy's five and like comes up to my waist and he rides yeah he rides skis that are shorter than my skateboard practically (laughs) um so anyways and and then all the kids and my sister and will are just standing at the at the top of the cat track like just all like what the, and i guess he he just launched it right off the cat track right behind me Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um i guess like but back to your question is like i mean i'm i'm doing front threes and butters and little stuff like that but i'm not really like i'm not going out to you know horseshoe and yeah like hucking a cork five do you think you ever will you know probably like i actually did do like a cork five off a park jump once this year but the problem was i kind of like landed at the bottom of the landing and i was like oh man like my knees are not what they used to be so i don't have a ton of Kind of motivation to try it, like it's not like the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Uh, when you talk about these old knees, uh, <laughs> so but like you know, I thought about it in pow. I mean, and I'll still do you know, like when I'm ripping a backcountry run, any time there's a room to do a you know a backside three or a frontside three i'll do it, um, and it's really just whatever tricks I could squeeze in and not slow down and keep like you know bombing a mountain, yeah, is more you know what I'm into than just you know out there jumping to get a trick off, yeah, but to, i I kind of like because I was thinking about this earlier this year, I was like, well, I think I can still do. A lot of these things, like in my mind, I think I can do them, and so I kind of am interested in like going and building a jump, a pow jump, and just trying a few things and seeing what happens. But definitely not gonna, you know, go throw a backside rodeo seven in the park. That's, a, <laughs> I I know that that can end bad. Odds are good of that one hurting. I mean, and not not like getting broke off, but at least sore enough that it might slow me down on other endeavors that I don't want to get slowed down on, so. Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, I wrote this question down, but I feel like it's been answered. But I think I'll go ahead and ask it. Do you feel like you're happy?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not like not like the I mean, I got a lot of stress in my life and this and that, and it's not this, like, uh, 100% easy street, happy, like, 100% of the time. Like, I'm always kind of, like, battling. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I like, I think if I was too happy, I might be, like, complacent or feel bored or something. So, So I think for me, I'm probably where I need to be, like, as far as happiness versus stress kind of all together and um you know having a family and this and that it's really awesome like Mm -hmm. just to like see my kids grow up and like you know you be worried about them like oh my gosh these kids have a couple of my they picked up a couple of my traits that (laughs) you know as a parent you're pretty nervous about so like, so it's it's exciting, it's fun, it's cool, it's probably the way it's gotta be. So yeah, I'd say pretty happy with how things are.
0: What are some of those traits that you're worried about your kids kind of developing?
1: Oh uh, well me and my wife are both like you know, we got attitudes. You know, <laughs> we we don't back down from fights. And so like, you know, It's all fine and dandy when it's just me and my wife, and we can like fight and make up. But then you fight in front of the kids, and you're like, "Holy crap! Like these guys are picking up on this. This is this is uh, too intense." And then you see them like having an attitude, and like this and that, and you're like, "Oh crap! It's Mm -hmm. my fault. (laughs) Like how did these kids get so like headstrong?" And it's clearly like what we taught them and which is you know it's just one of those things you're just like okay well we gotta try to tone it down a bit we gotta teach these kids how to be civil um and and my family is kind of like that too you know my dad's italian so like everybody's fiery and you know if you're just gonna sit there and wait for somebody to let you to jump in a conversation you might be sitting there for a while (laughs) so you gotta kind of learn to just like pop off and get your piece in and uh and then you watch your kids do that with other kids and you are like okay well hey 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 let's uh, tone it down a bit be, be a little more respectful
0: well dre that does it for my questions you know i was uh i was nervous about this this conversation as i kind of get nervous about chatting with um i don't know People in snowboarding that I grew up with, you know, in Alaska and like the moment I heard your voice, all of that like pressure just dissipated and I was like, Oh, I'm just talking to Dre.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny.
0: <laughs>
1: Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, not real. Not that I could think of other than uh it's raining here today. Which is kind of amazing because the summer has been like, I mean, I, we literally had the longest streak of sunshine that I've ever experienced in Alaska. So the fact that it started raining in the last two couple of days is kind of crazy. Of course, I'm already over it, like, geez, <laughs> what is going on with this rain? <laughs>
0: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alkota Beats.